Well, let's look together at the book of Hebrews. We've done a reading today from that uh, great book. Uh, we will look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> the uh, opening verses there. <clears throat> Robert, I need to get a shirt similar to what you've got that says it's in the syllabus. Kids uh, <clears throat> ask me all the time, uh, how many exams are we going to have in this course? It's in the syllabus, you know. When's the paper due? It's in the syllabus. And we went over the syllabus the first day of class. And what I found out through 32 years of teaching is they don't hear anything on the first day of class. So I need a shirt like that. It's in the syllabus. It would save me a lot of, uh, a lot of breath there. All right. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the book of Hebrews, just as the title suggests, was written to a group of Hebrew Christians, that is, Jewish Christians. People who had grown up in the Jewish faith, attending the synagogue, uh, reading the Old Testament scriptures, many of which foretold of the coming Messiah. And then somewhere along the way, someone preached to them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was indeed the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies that told that Messiah would come. And these Jewish believers believed. They put their faith in Jesus. They repented of their sins and they became Christians. It's written to Jewish Christians. The problem is, not long after they became Christians, many of them began to experience some really bad heartaches, trials, and troubles. A lot of them's families turned their backs on them because you've turned away from the faith. Many of them lost their jobs. Troubles began to come on them one after another. And more than a few of them began to think, well, maybe... God is punishing us. Maybe we uh, turn from our faith prematurely. Maybe, maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. Maybe we need to turn back to our Judaism and worship in the way of the faith in which we were reared. And so the writer, of the he, uh, the writer here of Hebrews, this is where we see the, the purpose of it coming in. Basically the purpose of, of, of Hebrews is to show these Jewish believers that Jesus is actually better than everything in the Old Testament and in their Jewish faith. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law, and he's better than the prophets. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than the priests of the Old Testament. Jesus is better over and over. Many, many, in fact, 
in chapter 10, verse 1, notice what he had actually said to them. These things that were important in the Old Testament, he says, they were only a shadow of the good things to come. You don't want to go back to the shadow when the real has already come. In every way, Jesus is better than what you were experiencing in your Jewish faith. Christ is indeed better. He, in fact, he has just gone. We started reading with chapter 12. You know what's in chapter 11. That's that roll call of the heroes of the faith, of those great individuals through the Old Testament faith who had come before them and how they had gone through difficult times, and yet they kept their eyes on the Lord, their faith remained strong, and so he finishes telling their story, and then he starts with that first word that we see there in Hebrews 12. Therefore. Now folks, therefore means we're looking at some kind of conclusion based on what you've already seen. Now, my students know if they want to fail a paper real quickly, I only have to read the first word if it's this word, therefore. Okay? If they start with therefore, the whole thing goes out. Because what therefore means, in light of what I have just said, and if you haven't just said something, you can't draw a therefore. Okay? They're drawing a therefore here because he's saying, based on what I just showed you about the great heroes of the faith and their lives and the difficulties that they overcame, since that is the case, he says, therefore, there's something you need to do. Now, I never can understand, you know, these folks coming to their faith in Christ, facing difficulties, and then thinking, well, maybe I've made a mistake. Uh, where, I, you know, somehow they got the idea that if you come to Jesus, life is going to be perfect. You're never going to have any more problems. Healthy, wealthy, and wise the rest of your life. Everything's going to... And I always wonder, you know, where did they get that idea? Where did they get that? And I, you know, I've concluded there must have been TV evangelists back in those days you know, hawking their wares of this prosperity gospel. That if you come to Jesus, everything is going to be perfect. <laughs> Folks, it will be one day, but it's not now. <laughs> and Jesus never promised us that, okay? Yet these people are, are being challenged in their own hearts to, and maybe by families and friends to turn from the faith. And so it's with that in mind. Now, the writer of Hebrews is, is dealt with this several ways. First of all, as I said, well, not first of all, but just previously, he has gone through the lives of some of these great saints of the past and has shown them how difficult times were for them, but through the power of God, they persevered. So if they did, then what are we supposed to do? Well, that's where he starts with his therefore. So I want you to notice in our passage the event that the writer here is describing. Then I want you to notice the encumbrances that can hinder us along the way. And then he points out how we can have endurance to persist in this race and the encouragement to be sustained during all of it. And then he gives us an example to follow. Is that enough? It ought to be. He stopped right there. Okay. He says, therefore. 
you're going through tough times. What are you supposed to do? He says, run the race. Continue to run. Now, folks, running a race is not an easy thing to do. It's not leisure running. In fact, I don't run anymore. I used to, uh, and I always said I, I called it running, okay? I had people actually pass me that were walking, but I called it running, okay? But that's not the kind of running he's talking about. He's talking about running a race where you can, the sweat is pouring down from the person. You can look closely and see the, the veins in their neck. Is, is, uh, they're just, every bit of energy they've got is to put that next foot in front of the other one. They're just reaching for the goal. This is not something that is easy. When you talk about the Christian life, friends, <laughs> the Christian life was never meant for somebody to make it through easily. It, it's, it, it's not for the faint of heart. It never has been. It never will be. If a person is going to live a life that, uh, for Christ, following him, it is going to be difficult. It's not only a race. You say, well, where did this writer get this? Well, Paul said, it's a war. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God. Folks, if you're going to walk with Jesus, and if I'm going to walk with Jesus, it's not going to be an easy path all the time. Now, listen. It'll be rewarding, and it'll be worth it, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, that means it's not always going to be easy. Uh, so it's a struggle. It, it, it's difficult. And what I like about this and love about the Bible is it never tries to delude us anyway. It just tells us the truth. You know, the writer here could have taken this approach. He could have said, well, look, I know y'all are going through some difficult times. But I'll tell you what, the darkest hours just before dawn, okay, it's getting ready to get better. Things are going to be okay. They're going to get better for you starting this week. You know, there's a silver lining in every cloud. Just don't worry. It's going to get better. He didn't tell them that. As, as a matter of fact, what he does is exactly the opposite. In, that, that, that's actually appealing to the cowardice in a person. He actually appealed to the, to the heroic in them. He just, he just says, look, folks, it's going to be tough. You know, buckle your seatbelt and let's go. And he just, in fact, if you look in, in verse, uh, look, look, we didn't go down to verse 4, but look what he says to the mayor right after he's saying to run the race. He doesn't say, hey, this is going to get better. He says, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood yet. Whoa. <laughs> he didn't tell them it was going to get easier. He told them, basically, friends, I'm sorry, you may not have seen anything yet. This thing may be going to get worse than that. And if you go back to chapter 10, verse 34, he's already mentioned some of the stuff that they went through. He said, some of you had your property, your land, your houses confiscated. And you, and you joyfully allowed that to happen. Or agree. Why? Because you understood this was going to be uh, uh, difficult. Folks, living the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. We, we've presented that wrongly so many times. It's not going to be easy. You know, I, I think, uh, in fact, I've heard, in, in fact, read some sections of books on this. A lot of reasons that men aren't interested in church is we've presented it as if it's something 
real easy and not challenging whatever and really haven't told them the truth. That, it's, that it is difficult. That it is not, again, for people of the faint of heart. It is a struggle. It is a fight. And he just tells I like I like what uh, George Patton, General Patton, used to tell his, his troops before they would go into battle. He would say, men, you know, most people have to die in their beds. Some of you are going to have the privilege today of dying for your country. Okay? He's told them the truth. He didn't say, now we're going into battle here and in, in two days y'all are going to be sitting on your front porch sipping iced tea and everything's going to be okay. He just told them the truth and said that truth ought to inspire you. It ought to encourage you. And so he just tells them the truth here and I appreciate it. The, the Christian the running the race, it is like running a race. It is difficult. It is a fight. It is a struggle. But I'll tell you again, folks, it's worth every bit of it. But it is a struggle. It's a challenge. And so he goes on to explain to them and encourage them to lay aside anything that doesn't help them in running the race. They've got, there's encumbrances when you run a race okay, that you need to get rid of, and that's the same thing is true in the Christian uh, life, in running this race. Notice he says to them what they are to lay aside. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> lay aside every encumbrance. Some translations there say the weights. Those, those are things that would weigh a runner down. <clears throat> now, you know, it's okay for a runner to wear ankle weights, okay? Gets their, gets their legs stronger, ready to run. But not when they're running a race, okay? When they're running a race, they take those off. They take those off because they're, in, our side, in the line of our text here, they are encumbrances. You want the, anything that prevents you from, I remember, you know, you know, I'm probably like most of you, particularly in my generation here. When I was growing up, we had two pair of shoes, okay? We had church shoes, and then we had a pair of tennis shoes that went everything else, okay? So I was a little bit surprised when we were having a field day at the school. We were going to do a lot of outside running and all this stuff, and a friend of mine comes in wearing a pair of shoes, but he's carrying a pair of shoes. I'd never seen anybody wear a pair of shoes and carry another pair of shoes around. You know, why would he be doing that? So I asked him, I said, so what, what do you got another pair of shoes for? He said, well, when we run, I'm going to put these on. And I said, well... Why would you wear those? He said, because they're so much lighter. I'm going to take these. And I, I actually picked those things up and put them in my hand. You could hardly feel anything in your hand. And I said, man, what are those things made of? He said, they're made of kangaroo skin. I thought, man, a pair of shoes. No wonder kangaroos can jump so high they don't weigh anything. You know? <laughs> uh, but the fact is, he was going to take off those shoes and put these on because the others were an encumbrance. They weighed him down. Now, when you say, well, what is it that might weigh us down? Well, he doesn't leave it to our imagination here. He, he says, first of all, sin will weigh it down. Folks, sin is in opposition to God's word. Sin is doing something, believing something, thinking something, or whatever else that God says, don't do. And sin can also be a failure to do, an unwillingness to do what God says to do. But you see, when God gives us commands, the Bible says, first of all, that God is righteous. 
And then it tells us his commands are righteous. You know, that says, that means that God's commands that he gives to us are a reflection of his character. And so when we sin, we are not violating some abstract principle. When we sin, we are violating the very character of God himself. And he says, lay that aside because it, it is an encumbrance that weighs you down. Folks, if we, if we have sin in our heart, first of all, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot be active and full in our lives. The scripture says if we harbor sin and iniquity in our hearts, God won't even hear our prayers. You think that won't affect your Christian race? God doesn't hear your prayers. The Holy Spirit is not effective in your heart and life. That's what sin does. And that's why we have to be careful at the least little sign of sin there because it'll never stay that way. That's why we have to be very careful and say, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's even something there that I don't see and understand yet. Uh, my first church staff position was a, a youth minister, the pastor. I went to visit him one day on a Saturday. I had to talk to him about something. He was out in his yard. and Across his back fence, he had a fence about the size of the length of that wall, that wall there. And uh, he was cleaning it off. <clears throat> you know, brush had gotten all over it. And uh, when I was talking to him, he was almost finished with it. And he said, you know, last year, I did the same thing, and I got down to right about where I am right now. There's about three or four feet of this morning. He said, my wife called me in to eat. And I came in and ate, and I was just too tired, and I didn't go back out there and clean the rest of that off. And before long, it had taken the entire fence over again, and I had to do the whole thing over again. And then he said, bud, let me tell you something. Sin is that way. Sin is that way. You leave a little bit of it, and before long, it takes over. It entangles us. It places us in places we never thought would have been. And that's why he says, be careful to lay aside every sin. It keeps us from running. It keeps us from being effective in our witness, in our life. It is unpleasing to God. On and on we could go. Okay? He says, lay aside the sin. But he also says here, translations are different, also the weights. Lay aside the weights. You say, what's the difference in a weight and a sin? Well, folks, a sin's always wrong. I told you weights are not always wrong. It's, fi it's fine to wear weights on your feet, legs if you're trying to gain strength, but it would be terrible again to try to run a marathon and keeping the ankle weights on. Okay? There are things in our lives that are okay. They're not wrong in themselves, but they're playing a wrong role in our lives. They're playing maybe an inordinate role. They're in our lives at a time. For instance, let's go back to running a race. Uh, can you imagine a person running the race and they're coming to the very end and they're stretching and straining and then they start waving to their, to their fans up in the stands while they're running? You say, well, that's, that, that shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Well, what's wrong with waving to your friends? I mean, they came to see you run a race. They're pulling for you. What's wrong with stopping and waving to them and telling them thank you? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something wrong if you do it at the wrong time. 
It's occupying the wrong place. Friends, there are things in our lives that are not necessarily wrong in themselves. But if we let them occupy the wrong place in our lives, they become wrong. So if you say, well, can you just show me in the Bible where this is wrong? No, because it's not wrong. But if it begins to occupy a wrong place, an inordinate place in our lives, he says we're to lay it aside. And folks, that means that's going to vary from person to person. Everybody's not going to have that same experience. It's not going to be occupying the wrong place in their lives. It's not going to be affecting them negatively as it does other people. That's why we have to ask the Lord again, search my heart. Lord, see if there's anything in me that needs to be changed. And it may be a sin, or it may just be something that has become a sin because I have taken something that is even a gift of God and used it in the wrong way. Folks, we need to examine our hearts. We need to, it, there may be things in our lives that need to go. If they are sins, they need to go. But all of us, periodically, need to turn the searchlight of God's Spirit on our hearts and say, Lord, is there anything that's keeping me from being all that you intend for me to be? Folks, it might be a relationship you know, that just needs to go. You know, Bubba asks, well, how do you know these things? I tell you, there's a pretty good test I have found to use is to just ask yourself this question. Is this allowing me to walk with Jesus closely or is it hampering my walk? That, that's a pretty good question. Folks, if it's hampering our walk, we need to get rid of it or we need to curtail it immensely, whatever it's going to take, to not affect my running the race that God has called me to run. There are in, in encumbrances, it says here, that, that, that are up around us and hold to us and keep us, and that's really what the word means, that, that, in, that in, encompasses us, something that, that uh, wraps around us and binds us down and holds us down. Folks, we need to get rid of everything that prevents us from coming, becoming everything that Jesus has intended for us to be. Lay them aside. And it's something we have to look at on a regular basis. But he also looks at the endurance part of this. Uh, how are you going to, it's going to take endurance. Now, folks, if you're using the, um, the King James Version, authorized version, it says they're run with patience. Now, King James Version was translated in 1611, okay? Words change over a period of time. That's one of them, okay? Uh, the word here is not really patience. You know what patience is? Y'all know what patience is? It's, uh, I always, when I think of patience, I, no, I don't, have, I don't have one of my Hamrick's coats on right now. I have some coats I bought at Hamrick's. Any of y'all shop at Hamrick's? Y'all shop at Hamrick's? You, you know, when you go in the door, there's some chairs over there on the right. You know who's sitting in them? The men. And you know what they're doing? Nothing. And they're happy about it. They're just sitting there doing nothing, patiently, passively waiting for their wives to get through. Okay? That is not what this word means. It does not mean sitting there doing nothing. In fact, it means almost the opposite of that. It means here, and that's why the translations that say endurance 
are much more to the point. Endurance is bearing up under a load and keeping on going and keeping on going. Even If you want a good word picture of it, if you don't like sports, I'm sorry. But the quarterback pitches the ball off to a running back and somebody dives on his back and somebody dives on their back and all of a sudden there's a whole group and all you can see is one color jersey and the whole clump of them's moving. You know why? Because somebody under there is enduring. They're keeping on, keeping on, even in the midst of a heavy weight on their shoulders. In fact, folks, this is actually a form of the same word that appears in verse 3. Consider him who has endured such hostility. Jesus stayed up under the load of that hostility. He didn't just sit and do nothing. He kept on keeping on in the midst of hostility, and he endured, and that's what we are called to do, to remain under the load. If you look back in 1127, it says that's what Moses did. You know, how did Moses get through what he did when he's giving the roll call of faith? He says Moses endured as having seen the one who was invisible. How is it that with everything Moses had to go through, facing the Pharaoh, how did he endure? He kept on keeping on even in the midst of all kinds of opposition. And friends, that's what we're going to face, and that's what we're facing already, and it's likely to get worse. It's going to be opposition. Again, look at Jesus who endured such hostility himself. He endured. He faced opposition. Folks, when, when we are running the race, a lot of that race is uphill. It's uphill. We're going up. It's going to be a struggle. You know, I... I I think of two things when I think of this. I think of, first of all, a jellyfish. That, you know, those are the most despicable creatures. You know, everybody's got their own question they want to ask God when they get to heaven. Mine is, why in the world did you create jellyfish? What good are jellyfish? You know, you can't even use them as a positive example for anything. They just, they, they don't even have any backbone. Okay? They just float around however the current takes them. That's the way they go. Folks, you know there's some people that are that way. Just wherever, whatever direction the current winds are going is the way they go. I like salmon. You know, salmon ha have been known in spawning season to swim upstream several miles to lay eggs. Sometimes actually swimming up small waterfalls. They go against the tide. They swim against the stream. They go against the flow. And friends, that's precisely what we're called upon as Christians to do and be, and that is to go against the flow. We should never be saying that's what everybody else is doing. We're doing this because other people do that. Folks, we are an example of the opposite kind of living that what the world is actually calling us to. And so we are oftentimes, on a regular basis even, we're going against the flow. And I'll tell you, that is not easy to do. But that's what we are called to do. He says, run with patient endurance. God, God, in the faith that he calls us to, folks, it's not, it's not a pampering faith. 
It, it's not a pampering faith a, a, at all. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a faith that is there to make us grow and develop and persevere. And we persevere, the scriptures tells us, over and over by going through difficult times. And those are what we need to expect. Jesus made it clear. Jesus said, I've gone, I'm going through hardships and suffering. And he said, is the servant, that's us, any better than their master? If I've had to go through this, do you think that life's going to be a bed of roses for you? And he told us, absolutely not. But friends, I tell you again, it's worth everything that it costs. <laughs> it may be difficult, but it's worth it. I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd rather be swimming upstream with Jesus than downstream with the devil. That's just the way it is. I'd rather be going against the flow knowing he is with me, sustaining me, and empowering me. I'd rather be going with him upstream than floating downstream on my own. And he calls us to endurance. And, and then he gives some encouragement. I like that. You know, he doesn't just say it's going to be hard. It's going to be. He's honest with us. This is going to be tough. But he says, let me encourage you. Folks, you know what? We all need to be encouraged. And again, different things encourage different people. We just, you know, and when, you know, I don't watch, I watch TV hardly ever, just don't like it. But I do remember sometimes through the years watching the Olympic Games through the years, and I didn't care as much about seeing the events. One of the things I loved is when they would do personal interviews with the athletes, you know. And one question I always like to hear is, you know, what is it that when the going gets rough for you? You know, you've been training and training, and, or maybe you're running that race, and you feel like, I just cannot get one foot above the other one again. What is it that just motivates you and keeps you going? What encourages you? to? And I, I, it was a lot of, you know, some of them would say, it, it, it's, I'm representing my country, you know. I'm just representing, and, and, and I, I, just, I just see myself standing on that podium and, 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 you know, them putting that medal around my neck and singing my nation's national anthem. Others would say something like, well, it's my daddy I think of. He died three years ago, and he always pulled for me. And when I just feel like I, folks, they think about stuff that just encourages them. And that's what the writer here does. He says, let me encourage you. He says, in the midst of your running here, think about the example of other people. Folks, that's what he's done all the way through chapter 11. That's why chapter 12 begins with therefore, okay? He's calling attention to chapter 11. What has gone on in chapter 11? He has given us example after example after example of people who've gone through the same kinds of things we're going through or worse. And they're called to the witness stand, as it were, to testify not only of how hard they had it, but how their faith saw them through. God gives us examples of people. He doesn't just tell us to do it and command us to do it. He gives us people in our lives that have shown us this is how it's supposed to be done. I can think of many of them. And a lot of them, it's a specific area of my life. I think of a specific person. And if it's another issue, I think of another person. But God has put people there as examples, not only in the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, as you can read the biographies, but people that God has graced our lives with that we can actually look at and they are examples for us, and they are encouraging us. 
But there's another thing that encourages us. If you look at verse chapter 12, verse 1, as we just read, notice it says, you have a greater cloud of witnesses. You're running this race, and you need to sort of see in your mind up there in the stands are these Old Testament saints and these prophets and apostles and these people in church history, and they are actually pulling for you and clapping for you and encouraging you and saying, we've been there and we have done that, and we are cheering you on. Friends, you are not alone in your race. And let me tell you something. You can look around you where you are sitting right now, and you can see... I am not in this race alone. God called us to run it together and to encourage us, to encourage one another in doing it together. And that is why we need each other. Endurance to persist, encouragement. Um, I think of that great classic Pilgrim's Progress when the Pilgrim was uh, going through a difficult time. He's left the city of destruction, and he's going to the celestial city, and he's facing all kinds of difficulties just like we face. And I think it's at that point hopeful that asks him, says, Christian, when, when, you, when the going really starts getting tough for you, what do you do? What encourages you to keep on? And I, I don't think he could have given any better answers. He says, well, first of all, I look behind me. Because, see, he had already come to the cross and seen the man hanging on the cross for his sins and the burden of his sin roll off of his shoulder. And he said, so the first thing I do is I look back and I remember that man who was hanging on the cross. And then he said, I look forward to that place where I am going and where God is preparing for me to be and I have always found out that those two thoughts gave me the encouragement to keep going. My friends, I would encourage you in the midst of running this race, look back and look forward. There's where our encouragement lies. And then he gives them another example to follow the best one. Notice what he says. Looking unto Jesus. The King James Version, many others say, the author and the finisher of our faith. Before I really go there, I want to say, looking unto Jesus, I want you to notice what he did not say at this point. He didn't say looking at others. You know why some people have failed in running this race? Is they looked at the hypocrites in the church. I've heard people say, well, I don't go to church, they're hypocrites there. Well, keep your eyes off of them. What are you doing looking at them anyway? If you, and and I've, I've had, I have had to deal with people that say, well, you know, such and such a preacher or somebody fell into sin and it just sort of destroyed my faith. And I said, my friend, you never had faith. Faith is in Jesus. <laughs> you might have lost faith in a pastor, but if you didn't have, if you had faith in Jesus, that doesn't affect your faith in Jesus. The fact is you were looking at the wrong person. Friends, I'm going to tell you something that's not news to you. People will fail you. And we are to look at them as examples as long as they are following the examples of Jesus. But he says here, we are not to look at others. We are to look at 
Jesus. He's the author of our faith. You know, again, some translations, and it's a perfect translation. They're, he's the pioneer of our faith. You know, pioneers are those people who went before us and cleared the way. You know, every time, every time I ride here from, from Greenville and going up toward Asheville that way through the mountains, I think, man, what about the settlers who first came through here? There was no roads. There were no, they had to cut these things. You know, they were trailblazers. They, they cleared the way so we could get in our automobiles and drive. Folks, can you imagine having to walk through with machetes and all that and cut places out to get your, your, your um, uh, horses and families and all? And then you get to the top of that mountain and you look, and there's another one straight in front of you. It's like, we got to do this again. You know, they were pioneers. They, they went before us to clear the way. And that's exactly what he's saying about Jesus is look at him because he's the pioneer that went before us. He cleared the way. Folks, he has ultimately removed every obstacle that you are going to face by going through it first, winning the victory for us, and giving it to us and telling us to live that victory out that he's already won for us. He is the perfect example. The perfect example. Now, friends, what we're looking at here, obviously, the book of Hebrews is written, as we said to begin with, Jewish believers. The message, what I've been saying, is to believers. Look unto Jesus. Let him be your example. Let him be your pioneer. But friends, listen. If you are here without Christ today, that is not the message that I have for you. I do not have a message for you to run any race. I have a message for you that you don't need to be running a race. You need to be falling at the feet of Jesus and repenting of sin and putting your faith and confidence in him and asking him to be your savior and your Lord. Way before you ever run a race, you have to be saved first. If somebody is out in the middle of a lake that is drowning, Folks, they do not need for you to swim out there and show them some various ways to swim to shore. They need for you to save them. You can show them how to swim later. They need to be saved. Jesus will show you how to run a race, but that's not where you need to start. You can't start there. You have to start by being saved. And that is falling at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. And going before Him and repenting and trusting and crowning Him as Lord of your life. And then you'll have a great, great privilege. And that is running a race that He has called you to run and that He enables you to to run. Folks, I may be talking to some people here that are believers and say, you know, I hadn't run very well. What do I need to do? You need to start running well. You, know, you need to just do the things that he says here. I, I watched a YouTube video some time ago. It was a, a women's race, and I, it might have been an Olympic race itself. And it was showing it because these runners were about running very, very close 
And one of those women fell. And I thought, oh, man, that's heartbreaking. She's out of this thing. She got up. And she got back in the race. And not only did she finish it, she won it after having fallen down. Folks, I want to tell you something. You could be a believer today who's run the race and fell down. And I'm just asking you, don't stay there. Get up. Lay aside those weights and those sins and focus your eyes again afresh and anew on Jesus and run with endurance. Endurance. You know, it's, I was so thankful to get a report last week of how many folks we had you know, that was, uh, I think it was just last week we had that uh, had our dinner with our staff and, and wanted to find out more and more about the church. You know, if people show an interest in our church, folks, that's an honor. You know, if they say that's our kind of people, you know, God may have spoken to you. Maybe you weren't even a part of that group, but you said, you know, I, I'm running a race and I can't think of anybody any better that I won't run it with me than these people right here. Then, um, you're welcomed to join the fellowship of this church. When we sing, we'll actually have our pastoral staff down here to talk with you, take your names if you're saying, this is, this, is what I, this is where the Lord's calling me to serve. I'll tell you, we'd take it as an honor. And it would be good for you, and it would be good for us. But we'd be delighted. I, I may be talking to someone here who I've said who's not even in the race. You say, well, I... The Lord has spoken to me today, or it has been speaking to me, and I just want to bow before him, just as you said. I want the salvation that he has to bring. I want the joy. I want to I live out the purpose for which God created me, and that's to glorify him. Well, if you sense God speaking to your heart, just right there where you are, just call on him. He, he says he won't cast you out. You said, but yeah, I, I, how much I've sinned? He knows how much you've sinned. In light of all that, he still tells you to come. That he'll in no wise cast you out. And then if you would want to share that with our church fellowship, we would want to hear that too. <laughs> you would be with people who would encourage you, would love you, and who would run the race with you. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your encouragement that you give to us in your word. Lord, thank you for just telling us the truth. Lord, thank you for not uh, trying to sugarcoat anything for us. But Lord, also thank you for placing your Holy Spirit in us that allows us to persevere and to endure. Lord, forgive us of the times that we have uh, allowed something to take our eyes off of you. Uh, Lord, help us each one to recommit ourselves this very moment to turn our eyes upon you, the one who pioneered for us, the one who is the very end of our faith that's going to make sure that we finish well. Lord, we I pray for any person here that is without you. Lord, I pray that they might be granted the grace today to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to know who you really are, and then to respond in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for receiving us. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us when we fell out of the race. Thank you for picking us up, brushing us off, 
and giving us the encouragement that we can go on and finish the race well. And Lord, we want to finish the race well because you are worthy of all that we have and all that we are, and we want to give you our very best the way you gave your very best for us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the pioneer of our faith, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.